Hello and welcome to Here Now, a Whitechapel Gallery podcast that delves into the stories behind the exhibitions on view at the gallery here in the heart of East London. Each episode invites a curator to be in conversation with artists, collaborators and other thinkers about the works and themes explored in the displays, giving you special access to the ideas that shape the artworks. My name is Jane Scarth, Curator of Public Programmes, introducing you to today's episode featuring Whitechapel Gallery Director Ivona Blaswick, who is also the curator of our latest exhibition, Kai Althoff Goes with Bernard Leach, an exhibition showcasing the career of the German painter and installation artist Kai Althoff. Ivona will be in conversation with artist, potter and writer Edmund Duval, who in addition to his artistic practice is well known for the globally acclaimed memoir The Hair with the Amber Eyes and is a leading scholar on the work of Bernard Leach, which also features strongly in Kai's exhibition. Here they speak about the ideas behind Kai's show and share reflections on the enduring appeal of Bernard Leach to contemporary artists. The exhibition is free to view in galleries 1, 8 and 9 and is on display from the 7th of October 2020 to the 10th of January 2021. My name is Ivona Blaswick and I'm the curator of an exhibition here at the Whitechapel Gallery of a contemporary German artist called Kai Althoff. He's primarily a figurative painter and he also makes sculptures, films and plays in a band. He's called his survey, Kai Althoff Goes with Bernard Leach. And alongside nearly a hundred of his works, he has selected over 40 jugs, dishes, vases, tiles, and even buttons made of stoneware, earthenware, and porcelain, and dating from the 1910s to the 1960s by the great British potter. In a statement that accompanies the show, Althoff says that he wants his painting to function like one of Bernard Leach's pots. He regards each of his pictures as a vessel for experience. And in fact, Bernard Leach himself once said, a pot, in order to be good, should be a genuine expression of life. Although it is 50 years since Bernard Leach passed away, these two artists have much to share. They believe in authenticity, truth to materials, and in decorative arts rooted in tradition. In 1997, an influential book, Tracing Leach's Life and Work, was published by the contemporary ceramicist and writer Edmund Duval. As well as being a renowned artist, he is author of the celebrated The Hair with the Amber Eyes and The White Road, A Journey into Obsession. He's also a curator, as well as putting together a beautiful display about the colour white in the Royal Academy's library. He's recently installed a library of exile in the British Museum, where he juxtaposes his own delicate porcelain works with some 2,000 texts by a global roster of writers in exile. Edmund, could you describe Bernard Leach's aesthetic? No. (laughs) I can't because he's one of those complex artists who evolves through different stages of his life. And as he goes, he wonderfully, lyrically and dogmatically 
changes his view on what his work means and what kind of work uh, he should be doing. So there are strong lineaments going through the whole of his work, right from the very start, from his early days in Japan, right to the end of his life. Uh, but actually his aesthetic, no, because as any visitor who comes to see you in the White Chapel, walking around this extraordinary group of works will, will understand is that there is actually no common style within these works. It's a sort of panoply of color, texture, shape, form, use, non-use, strong aesthetic, actually holding it all together, no. The kind of narrative that we know about Leach is that he brought an idea of traditional Japanese pottery into dialogue with an English, almost medieval sensibility to create a modernist language. But he'd actually studied drawing and etching at the Slade. What happened in Japan that made him take up ceramics? So you're quite right. He, he goes off to Japan as a very earnest young man with, 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 with a Slade school education under his belt. And he goes to Japan and he, he starts there teaching etching and engraving and falls into contact with an extraordinary young um, group of, of intellectuals, well-off intellectuals, um, called the Shirakaba group, the White Birch group, who are novelists and poets and, and translators. And they're all looking at Western art and, and Japanese traditional art and trying to work out well, you used the word first, authenticity. What makes an authentic work of art? And so in this sort of melee of, um, of, of young, earnest people, Leach um, starts to experiment. He starts to make furniture. He starts to make raku pots, um, this low-fired um, Japanese technique where rather wonderfully you, you see the pot within an hour of its firing. It's, it, it's plunged into, uh, into, into a red-hot kiln and then it comes out and you have it in your hands. And he starts to, um, to, to, to bring together his, his life as, a, uh, as a, a Western artist, Japanese understanding of pattern, and also critically, and this is something we'll talk about with Kai, he brings together storytelling um, into, into his graphic work and into his pots. You describe in, in the book this wonderful party. And I, I'm really inspired to try and do something like this um, at home, uh, where the guests would be presented with blank pots that hadn't been fired and uh, a paintbrush and a, and a pot of glaze. Uh, so, so what was that tradition? So that's the Raku tradition. And, and, and what that does, of course, apart from it being a party, which is always a good way of creating art, um, is, is, is something very interesting because it's actually about an image of transformation happening before your eyes. And, and, and what that does, you know, you have a cold pot and a couple of brushes and some, some glaze materials. And then within an hour, within an hour, you have a warm vessel sort of glowing with color, vitality, vigor, which then you can use. You can then uh, have a tea ceremony. You can fill it with sake and drink. You can do whatever you want. So it's, it's this social activity of art um, that makes sense for this um, rather gawky Englishman. 
and, 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 and that's what he gets. He gets this idea that pottery isn't just some rarefied thing going on elsewhere, but is a way of connecting hand, as he puts it endlessly, hand and heart, um, and, and, and also storytelling. It's also points to the fact that quite often he had other people make his, his vessels, and that his part was often the, the more the decorative or the graphic part of it, which seems to me to connect back to that early training. Well, it's very interesting because this is one of the reasons why my book was absolutely hated by, when it came out by various people. I actually had hate mail, which is not something you expect, because actually I do point out very straightforwardly. Leach uses Japanese craftsmen. I mean, it's a completely accepted tradition. That's how, how, how many artists in Japan work. Um, but that's not the story he told about himself. <laughs> he talks about himself um, as someone who is the um, only begetter of his work, that, that, that he holds that, that line from making, decorating, and firing um, intact. In fact, in practice, he is, um, like many artists now, someone who works with a team, with a studio, with other people's skills, and pulls in, um, um, in conversation with them, uh, uh, um, all kinds of um, ways of manifesting his ideas. Um, but we might come back to this. Yes. Um, that means all authenticity is a, is a, is a vexed question. Yes. <laughs> it seems to me that uh, your very evocative description of that group and the characters within it, that in a way they were not unlike all the other avant-gardes that were popping up across Europe at that time, quite dogmatic, often dismissive of other traditions, keen to proselytise, and also to uh, regard themselves as the genius, the origin, originator of, in a way, the future. So, so do you think they were proto-modernists? I think they are proto-modernists. And, and it, it's very interesting, Ivana, because actually when you look at, at the people they're thinking about, they're thinking about Ruskin, um, they're thinking about Walt Whitman, they're thinking about Blake, they're thinking about these great characters who, who um, talk to them about what it might be to be an authentic human being, and Tolstoy as well. Um, and when you look at, at people, for instance, in the Omega group in, you know, in, in, in London, exactly the same time, often they're looking at exactly the same people <laughs> and reading those same texts and getting hype about why, why these people talk to their idea of, about making art in, 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 a, in a new and authentic way. Mm -hmm. and he was also influenced by Chinese, primarily, and Korean ceramics. Could you say something about that? Yes, and so he has a rather difficult couple of years in China and where he experiences Chinese and, and, and uh, pots for the first time. And, and, and what he sees there um, is... Um, a couple of things. One, he sees, he sees a culture which takes ceramics seriously. That's one of his great things about Leach. He understands the centrality of ceramics to a culture, and he sees that in China. The second thing he understands is that austerity, having a form and a glaze and a minimal kind of decoration on an object, brings it into the realm of abstraction. It brings it into the realm um, of an abstract work of art. It's difficult to, to um, make it anything other than it is. 
it, it's in itself something which holds its own integrity. That's what he sees in Chinese pots. And, and, and he carries that back, um, back to England when he arrives in 1920. This year is the 100th anniversary of the leech pottery in St. Ives. How did he come to live and work in Cornwall? Desperation. <laughs> He's, he has no money. He needs to make a studio, make his life as an artist. And a, a well-off benefactor offers him the chance to come to St. Ives, to, to Cornwall, where, of course, there is this already this um, um, artistic community, um, uh, which has been going for, 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 for 40 years um, in that seaside town. So St. Ives is a, sort of, um, is a sort of default place for him. He doesn't really particularly know anything about it. Um, and he arrives... Um, with, um, with a substantial check in his pocket from a benefactor in order to, 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 to bring, bring pottery to, 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 to the English. Uh, you make the point that St Ives was not naturally suited to the making of pottery in terms of its, its natural resources. Oh, Cornwall's got no woods for, for firing pots. You know, the, um, it has got all kinds of minerals, which if you're, if you're intrepid, you can dig up and different kinds of clay if you can find it. But, but it's not, it's not Stoke-on-Trent. It's not in the middle of the country. It's, not a, it's, it's got no um, communication links to, 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 to speak of. And so, curiously enough, what, what that does for Leach, being all that way away from metropolitan, noisy art life, is to, in many ways, focus him on, on, on this uh, sense of, of contramundum, that I'm against the world, that I am going to do this dramatic thing of becoming the first English artist potter away from everyone else. And if they want to see my work, they'll have to come and find me here. So it adds into Leach's sense of isolation. What was his attitude to the industrial potteries at Stoke-on-Trent? It was complete hatred. I mean, it was it was a visceral um, uh, dislike. Uh, he sees um, he, when he when he writes about Stoke-on-Trent about about those sort of perfectly produced, um, technically um, uh, lambent works that can get made in their tens of thousands. He, see, he sees them, much as Morris saw the factories of, of, the, of, of late Victorian England, he sees them as the work of the devil. He sees them as, as, as a symbolically alienating the hand, the heart, and the object. Um, the fact that, to be honest, he didn't really know very much about ceramics <laughs> um, and that he could have actually done with quite a lot of Stokes' technical knowledge haunted him but he hates it. He absolutely hates Stoke-on-Trent. Didn't he have the same problem that William Morris had in that both these artists aspired to bring beautiful design to ordinary homes, but that the labour-intensive nature of the process, the unique quality of it, made their products just too expensive for the average person? This is at the heart of Leach's complicated relationship with money. Um, and complicated relationship with, with function because he has this deep desire for, for the ordinary working man, as he 
rather patronizingly <laughs> puts it, to, you know, to use his mugs and his bowls and his jugs and to have them, have them um, in their everyday life. But his work is hugely expensive. You know, it's hugely expensive to make. Um, um, it, 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 it goes wrong the whole time. His kilns are, are, are disastrous. The number of the seconds, the pots that come out of the kiln wrong or broken, um, it's, it runs at 30 to 40% through, throughout the 20s and 30s. And it's only right at the very end of the 30s and the beginning of the Second World War when, when there's a need for, for utilitarian pots during functional need for, 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 for Britain to make its own pots, that actually his standard wear, his, his, this, 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 this great catalogue of repeatable shapes comes into existence. And that happens because suddenly he has his studio full of apprentices and assistants and conscientious objectors, Patrick Heron, famously, one of them making, making pots in uh, his studio. And at that moment, finally, after 20 years of struggle, it's possible to buy his pots more cheaply. In discussing his legacy, you've been quite critical of the hierarchies he made between artisans and art students. How did he differentiate between them? Oh, I mean, it's basically how well-spoken you were. I mean, he was, he was a crushing snob, I have to say. I mean, um, really terrible. I mean, he, he, he talked about... Low, Again, this doesn't go down very well with the acolytes, but he talks, he talked about having local lads, you know, local Cornish lads who would mix the clay, fire the kilns, pack the pots, um, and, and start to make things. Uh, but he didn't see them as people who would necessarily be the people who would come in and trained to be studio potters and decorate pots. So he, 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 he holds his Edwardian um, sense of, of social structure very firmly in place. Um, and I, I, I have to say, it, doesn't, it, 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 never, it never sits very well when thinking about Leach because, you know, his greatest pots met almost in, entirely um, throughout the... 40s and 50s are made by other people, beautifully thrown by other people and decorated gloriously by him. But there is no sense that he is able to say that out front. I suppose there is this idea about um, that the art education gives you a sort of critical distance or some extra consciousness about the aesthetic. And I, I suppose, as you said earlier, you could see that as a very traditional atelier kind of system, you know, where you have different, different skills and technicians and so forth. Oh, absolutely. But the muddle, the, the muddle at the heart of this is, is, is a very pernicious one because it's, it, what it does is, is, is that he, he, I mean, he's a great writer. He's a great, dynamic, uh, lyrical, persuasive writer. You know, um, a Potter's book, his book in 1940 is still in print. It's an extraordinary, it's called The Bible for Potters. But in it, he talks about the unknown craftsman, about how we should honour and respect those artefacts that are made over the millennia by people um, who, um, who make work 
through repetition, who make work um, uh, for use and for, for and to have it the hearts of our lives, everyone's lives. Um, but by calling them the unknown craftsmen, he sort of valorizes them, but he also really says they don't need names. Mm. You know, they don't need names. We can see, we, the educated people, can see how beautiful they are. They couldn't see what they were making. It's us, the, the educated, aesthetically um, uh, um, minded, who can, who can understand the beauty of, of the everyday. And, and that, 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 that's, that's a muddly, a muddly and complicated inheritance. What was his impact on 20th century pottery and crafts? Enormous, profound, in a couple of ways. Well, firstly, what he shows in his life is that it's possible to make a living as an, what he called an artist craftsman, very gendered, artist craftsman. Um, so what you see with Leach is, is someone successfully making a public life as someone who makes objects, having exhibitions, talking about them, making a space for the crafts within British culture. So that's one thing. But the second thing I think is very interesting. He brings the, uh, uh, an anxiety about... <laughs> state the status of crafts into play because actually the pots he valued himself that he made are the big exhibition named jars you've got some of them in your exhibition the the the, the pots that look like they belong in art galleries <laughs> and so even though there's a great sort of tidal swell of him talking about pots for use and, and um, vessels at the heart of our life. And actually, his practice is, is saying, the pots I love, the pots you should value, are these. It strikes me, though, that, um, and again, you, you make this point, that if we think about the legacy of St Ives and mid-century British modernism, we can see how his forms also relate to perhaps the work of people like Barbara Hepworth and Henry Moore, that there is the, the stoniness of the stoneware, you know, that you really do get that feeling of these robust, chunky forms, which are really quite sculptural and uh, a minimal uh, decorative, just, just a few brush strokes, something which is very um, condensed, almost like haikus on each, on each pot, and um, I'm, I'm always struck by the heft of them. They're very different from the sort of very super fine porcelain tea sets, for example, that would have been typical of the, you know, more industrial kind of production. Is, is the mug one of his legacies, would you say? <laughs> the, brown, the brown mug. Very interesting, yes. So, so just on that, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, you look at, at early Moore, you look at Hepworth... And, and, and leech, um, and, and you see a, a truth to materials, a kind of a, a working with your hands, and also a kind of um, a valorizing of, of, of local materials. 
you know, this is Haunton Stone. This this is an, a, a, this is a beech tree that came down in the field behind the studio. This is clay from X, Y, or Z. So there's that sense of grounding yourself in a landscape, which I think is you know is absolutely of that moment. It's also there with Lanyon. It's there with you know with many of the other St Ives people as well. Um, but the mug, <laughs> the legacy of the mug, the brown mug. Because actually, so many of those mugs are glazed, of course, with oriental glazes. That particular brown is a Chinese glaze called Tenmaku. It's a beautiful brown, breaking to rust uh, glaze, which was used on imperial tea bowls. But there it is. It turns up in, 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 the, in the life of St. Ives. And, it, and, and, and yes, we're, we're, every single... You know, village in the 60s has someone working down a lane making brown mugs. And why not? Because actually that's um, a good legacy to have. Edmund, your book has never gone out of print. Can you say why Leech is important today? Oh, I can. Leech is important today because, uh, because objects matter, uh, because the place of objects in our life is is uh, consistently, uh, um, complicatedly um, at the heart of who we are as human beings. Um, how we make things, what we make, how we value them, how we pick them up or don't pick them up, how we put them in vitrines or we have them in our kitchen cabinets or on our tables, how we serve food. All these are, are questions about who we are as social human beings. And Leach, with all his muddle, all his different uh, patrician complexities and, and, and dated views of the world, damn it, he actually tried to live out a life, trying out making pots and bringing them into people's lives. So he will always remain significant. And I have to say, that this exhibition is the biggest exhibition of Leach's work that there's been for 20 years in London. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing to have this for, for five glorious months, four glorious months in our, in our London life. It's, it's really striking also that despite the fact that almost every art school in Britain closed down their ceramic studios, what I've noticed over the last decade is a huge surge of interest among artists in making ceramics. And, and I wonder, do you think that might be almost a reaction against the digital? There's an absolute need to connect with a haptic, with, 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 with our hands, with, 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 with the, how we understand the world through touch. And clay, in any form... <laughs> is inexhaustible it's 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 one of those materials that 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 well rather beautifully as fontana said when it moves you move you know you uh, you move it moves and so actually to to be present in the world with clay which is what so many people artists i mean you can't walk down a high street now with without finding people, these pop-up studios with people desperate to make pots, to un make sculpture, to have their hands in clay. Um, well, as you point out, all the art schools disastrously and, and sh shamefully abandoned their ceramics courses. Um, people are making pots, people are using clay because they need 
to touch material and to connect with what it is to be a human being. Well, I think that that message is something that couldn't be more pertinent to this very strange pandemic moment. The idea of making as a reconnecting, not only with oneself, but with our humanness and with society is something that uh, everybody, I feel, really has a hunger for right now. Thank you so much, Edmund, for, for sharing your great knowledge of, of a great artist. Kai Althoff goes with Bernard Leach, is on at the Whitechapel Gallery until the 10th of January, and you can book your free entry online. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Here Now. You can find all of our other episodes online at www.whitechapelgallery.org. Don't forget to visit the exhibition Kai Althoff Goes with Bernard Leach from the 7th of October 2020 until the 10th of January 2021. Goodbye for now.